at um, Overland Church. Hey, Dakota, I'm a little hot back there. Can you turn me down a little bit? I want to yell, and I can't yell when I'm that loud. I'm just kidding. I don't really want to yell. Uh, maybe back up just a hair. All right. Anyway, at, um, at Overland Church, we're, we're committed uh, to expository preaching. And so what, what that means is we're committed to explaining the text, exposing it, opening up and revealing what is in the text. And so uh, we do that uh, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so uh, so often there's, there's ways in which you can, you can preach topically and expositionally at the same time. But uh, pretty much tried, the tried and true method, the most faithful meth- method is to go books, book by book, verse by verse. And... Um, Today's text would not get preached if I wasn't going book by book and verse by verse. Uh, this is not a text that I would like think, hey, I think I'll preach this text on blank topic. Uh, I think I would probably uh, skip over it. I think that's probably the reality. Matter of fact, um, I, would, I would just almost guarantee you that in America today, the only way that anybody is preaching this text is if they're preaching through the book of Luke and happen to be right here. I promise you, at the, at the movie series, uh, they're not choosing this text. This is not part of a, a topical sermon. But man, uh, God is so gracious to give his word. And, and the Bible teaches us that every uh, Word breathe out of the mouth of God is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That it is all good, and and man, after we dig in this text today, you'll see this is an important text, and this is a text that we should preach and that we should want to hear. And so, as we jump into this text today, picking right off, right up where we left off last week, um, here's what I want you to know as we go into Luke chapter. 11 verse 14. Here's what I want you to know. Satan has been defeated and Jesus rules and reigns in his kingdom. And let me tell you, that is good news. It is good news that Satan has been defeated and Jesus is the one who's in charge. Jesus rules and reigns in his kingdom. Now, as we dive into this text, I'll ask you that we're here to remember last week we, we did the Lord's Prayer And in the Lord's Prayer, uh, there's a few different things. Remember that he says, when when the disciples say, teach us how to pray, one of the things that Jesus says is, pray your kingdom come. Now, we live in post-resurrection times. We see that God's kingdom came at his resurrection But we'll see from this text that God's kingdom is still coming. That God's will uh, for his kingdom is still unfolding. That God is still moving and working. Also remember that we talked about the the last part of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation. And, And last week one of our big ideas that the Lord would protect us from evil. That he would protect us from Satan and his demons. That we would not fall into temptation. That we wouldn't fall into um, and and run away from God's testing and moving and working. We wouldn't uh, run into, to be lured into Satan's traps. And that we wouldn't ourselves uh, be given over to our sin. And so we have to remember, coming from 
uh, the Lord's Prayer into this. That, that Those are two very real prayers, two very real things. Lord, let your kingdom come, and Lord, protect us from evil. So, starting in verse 14. We're going to be going through verse 28. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house, uh, household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, there they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and he overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, I told y'all. I told y'all this got kind of weird, didn't it? You're reading along and you're like, okay, these people just called Jesus Satan. And when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is he talking about? And so let's dive in. Verse 14, let's begin to take this apart. This, this passage actually makes a lot of sense when you understand what it's saying in context. And so let's dive right in. Verse 14, so he was casting out a demon that was mute. And so here you have this demon-possessed person. And this demon that they have has caused them not to speak. So the person can't speak. And so this is, this is Jesus doing ministries of mercy uh, as he cast out the demon. Now we see... Over and over in Scripture, we know that Jesus cast out many demons. Often, uh, we see when they're healing, they're bringing people to be healed, and he's healing them of one thing or another. But also, you'll see that he'll he cast out demons in that same time. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Now, imagine... Here's this man, and you've known him literally your entire life. He's a good bit older than you, but as you've known him, you've never known him to be able to speak. 
And, and, and you weren't sure that it was a demon. You weren't sure what it was. You just thought this man was mute. But when Jesus comes and Jesus casts out a demon, all of a sudden this man, who you've never heard speak a word, starts talking. He has his voice back. Now, what would that do to you? Would you marvel? Well, of course you would marvel. Some of you are thinking, I can think of some people I'd like to have a mute demon. That way they could never speak again. Shame on you. Get your mind on Jesus. You'd marvel. You'd marvel at that. That would be an amazing thing. You would, you would go, oh man, this guy Jesus, just like we've seen over and over and over, like this guy is who he says he is. This guy's Lord. But some of them, he said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, keep seeking from him a son from heaven. Like, that wasn't sign enough. All these things that Jesus did weren't sign enough. They needed more. And so here's, here's my, my first big idea. Some would rather make a deal with the devil than call Jesus Lord. Some would rather make a deal with the devil than call Jesus Lord. A, uh, a recent Gallup poll, uh, Gallup is a, a polling company. They've been around for years. They've been doing this particular poll since 2001. So since 2001, they've been asking these, these questions, these, this same group of questions. And um, you see the poll from 2001 to like 2009. Actually, people's kind of religious belief grew. But somewhere around 2008, 2009, it goes into decline. And so this year, uh, I'm going to say that God lost the most ground, meaning God, God didn't lose any ground. Uh, more people, percentage-wise, decreased in their belief of God than in any recent year. Um, however... Satan lost ground as well. People also, the percentage of people who, drop, who believe in Satan, evil, hell, also drop. Our spirituality as a whole in America is falling. And so here's what this poll told us. Is that in America today, still 74% of people believe in God. Now that doesn't mean 74% are Christian. By any means, you could be Muslim, you could be Buddhist, you could just be agnostic and think there is a higher power. He just wants nothing to do with us. But 74% of people believe in God. Now, this is interesting. 69% of people believe in angels. And so there's more people who believe that there's a God, but there's other people who believe they're, they're angels. Most of those people believe it's Aunt May, and when she died, that's what she became. That's not how that works either. Um... So 69% believe there's angels, but check this out. The percentage goes down from 69% to 67% believe in heaven. So we've got a God, um, but some folks don't think the God is in heaven. So we've got think there's angels, but those angels aren't in heaven. Now, this, this, this I find really interesting. 67% of people believe in heaven, but only 59% of people believe in hell. So that means there's a lot of folks who, as they kind of think, think through things, um, they, they want to excuse away hell. They want to think, oh, there's a better place that, that, that we could go when we die. But there is not a worse place that we could go when we die. Right? And so they want to take away the thought, uh, thought about hell. And so I, I think there's probably in that 10% there that aren't really intellectually honest. They're not really spending any time thinking about it. Now... 
this one blows my mind. It's only a 1% difference, but 59% of people believe in hell, but only 58% of people believe in the devil. And so there's a 1% out there somewhere in America that thinks there's a hell, but doesn't believe there's a devil. Um, meaning this, listen, nearly 3 in 10 people do not believe in hell or the devil. I joke and say that I feel like I'm, I'm all the time preaching, trying to convince people that Satan is real. Um, like I'm Satan's apologist. It feels kind of funny. But I do that because we're in, we're, we live in a world that is increasingly not believing in good or evil. And so, listen, if I'm going, I believe, in, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is Lord. I believe what he said is true. Therefore, I believe that there are Satan there is Satan and there are demons. Now, how did that come to be? Why did they call Jesus Satan? Um, this is what we see in, in the Bible. In the book of Ezekiel, we learn about Satan. And man, in heaven, in, in the existence of God's created order at the time, before he had made us, before he had made the earth, that... There were angels who rebelled against God. And the lead, lead angel who rebelled against God was Lucifer. And God um, basically kicked a third of all the angels out. And the third of those angels leave. They fall from heaven, literally creating a fiery hell for them. When we read Genesis, in the earliest accounts in Genesis, the creation account, when we go to the, the, the garden in Genesis chapter 3, what do we see but Satan showing up there? And so there's literally not a place in the Bible where Satan and, and demons didn't exist during that time period. And people would have most certainly believed in them. Right? So the, the Pharisees and, and the scribes who are calling him Belzebul. We know that, uh, by the way, that though uh, Luke, Luke doesn't say it's the Pharisees and the scribes. Matthew says, hey, it's the Pharisees. And Mark gives us, oh, it's, it's actually a section of the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers who are putting this. They're the ones who are calling Jesus Belzebul. When they say Belzebul, it's an Old Testament reference. It actually had a little different spelling, but it comes from 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings, maybe, maybe in the Old Testament you've heard of the false god Baal. So not a real god, but this was a god uh, that the Canaanites would have worshipped or whatever. Different people would have worshipped this false god. And so Belzebul was a false god that people worshipped. The Jewish folks did not recognize that as God, did not rec recognize him as a false god. It wasn't real. And so this is what they began to say. Belzebul literally meant Lord of the Flies. Other other other. Places it, it became Lord of the Dung. And so, literally, uh, the Jewish people were going, Belzebul, it's a bunch of crap. It's not real. But here, when they mention it, listen to what they say. I mean, they, they say it's apparent that Belzebul, the prince of demons, they're ascribing this false god. They're saying, this, this is the devil. And so, it is the devil that's doing the work. You're, you're part of Satan and his scheme. This guy isn't from God. He is from Satan. That is the accusation they're making towards Jesus. Now, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 20, Isaiah says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet 
for bitter. And so I would tell you, woe to those scribes and Pharisees. Now, we're pretty good at that. I think culturally, in America, we look at things all the time. And it is, it is something that, that is evil and we call it good. It's something that is in clear rebellion to the teachings of God, the teaching of the Bible. And we look at it and go, no, they're wrong for believing that good. They're evil. Rather... This, this thing that they're calling evil, we're called good, wrongly. Now, if you look at my big idea, some would rather make a deal with the devil than call Jesus Lord. What do I mean by that? I mean, you've got the Pharisees and the scribes there who've seen Jesus move and work. They, they, they have seen him do these things. They have heard the testimonies about all the things that Jesus has done. And if they were to surrender and call him Lord, it would mean that they would have to give up their own power. Right now, they're, they're in control. They're ruling. They think they are their own little lords. They've got this religious uh, zealot thing figured out. And they realize they, they have their own way in which to control their circumstances, what's happening. So in order to call Jesus Lord means that they're not. It means that they have to... To, to turn from what they believe and accept something else. I think that there's many of us who, who look at Jesus and we recognize his teachings. We recognize who he is. We, we go, if that's true, this is trouble. But we would go, you know what? I don't want to give up being my own Lord. I don't want to give up being in control of my life. I don't want to surrender to him. I don't want to live the way he says I need to live. And so, you know what? I'd rather make a deal with the devil. I would, I would, I would rather accept his things. Uh, Satan, I'll just go over here and you just leave me alone. And I'll go, I'll go pursue these worldly things. Um, now, you know, for, for many of us... Um, We're so caught up, our eyes are so focused on the things of the world that we don't have neither God nor the devil in our peripheral vision. We're not even looking at them. We're focused on worldly things and worldly pursuits. And in that, Satan's happy to let you to do, do that. Satan's goal isn't for you to believe in him. It's rather for you not to believe in God. That's his goal. That's Satan's goal. Satan's goal isn't, isn't it's, it's about you not having faith in God. It's not worship of him. And so some of us, we're fine with that. And I'll tell you, that's a dangerous game. Satan is evil. Satan is out to kill and steal and destroy. He doesn't want what's best for you. He wants what is worse for you. He wants you to be destroyed. That's not what Jesus wants. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is coming to seek and to save the lost. To pull out of darkness those who are in darkness and pull them to the light. Verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom Stand, for you say that I cast out names by the Bel demons by Belzebul, 
And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. And so here's my next big idea. Is that Jesus is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Sounds like scripture, doesn't it? 1 John 1, 5. This message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. They made a claim that Jesus was evil, and Jesus is not evil. Jesus is totally good. He is sinless. He is perfect. He is righteous. There is no evil in him whatsoever. And so, what's his answer to them saying that? Every kingdom divided itself against itself is going to lay waste. And so, if, if, I, if, if I'm uh, casting out demons in the name of Beelzebul, and, and Satan and his kingdom, like, demons are demons, evil is evil, it would fall. That's not how this is going to go down. I am God, I am good, and I am coming to defeat evil. Evil is going to fall, and good is going to triumph. There, there, there is no yin and yang here. There's, no, there's going to be a little bit of good and a little bit of evil. In the end, I want you to know this, God is going to win. Listen to what he says, verse 20. But it, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons... Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It, that means it is your reckoning day. That God is here. The kingdom is upon you. And so he uses this, this analogy. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Man, y'all ever known a prepper? I had a, I had a neighbor that was a prepper. And uh, he had about 80 acres, and he had a bunker on that prepper, uh, and on his compound. And it was this steel uh, container he had dug in the ground. Uh, I'm going to walk lightly here. This is one of my best friend's dad's. Like, he wasn't the prepper. We kind of made fun of him. Man, remember Y2K? Uh, some of you weren't, weren't born yet. Sorry, I'm gonna, the, the older folks in the room, let's skip over the people born after 2000. Uh, man, this dude was prepped. He was ready for the world to end. Man, there's just no telling the guns he had, the ammo he had. He was prepped. And matter of fact, one of my buddies moved in on the front end of his road, and he approaches him. He says, hey, when the black SUV comes, will you call me and give me a heads up? Like, he meant it. He was super, super skeptical. Um, it would have taken a, a, a very, very small police force to take him down, right? That, that we think, like, oh, we're the strong man. This has been, by the way, prepping's been going on since by the, the biblical ages. Like, you've got your castle, you've got your compound, and you guard the walls, and, and, and you prepare. But the reality is, when the bigger army comes, you're going to get taken down. There's, there's no doubt about it. So, Jesus is saying, when I come, I'm going to win. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is going to win. Here's the next big idea. Jesus did not come to fight a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. Place your faith in the winner. Now, 
I don't know how many times in the book of Luke this has been a big idea or this quote has been said. Jesus did not come to fight a physical battle but a spiritual battle. I've said that over and over. We see it in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is taken into the desert by Satan to tempt him. We then come see him come out of there in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus goes and he says all the things that he's going to do. That he's going to heal the lame. He's going to cause the blind to see. He's going to free the oppressed. Right after, right after that in Luke chapter 4, he goes, we see him cast out demons right after that. We see that it's not a primarily a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And Jesus is the winner. And so you get to choose today who you're going to serve. Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to follow the devil? There, there is no mutual ground. If you are going along and you're thinking, I'm not serving, I'm not serving the devil, well, guess what? I'm not going to serve God, but I'm not serving the devil at that point. No, you're part of the Satan's agenda. And so you need to choose today who you're going to serve. And I would encourage you to know that, that this is the good news of the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus came to the earth. He lived this perfect and spotless life. He was crucified on the cross. He was dead. He was put in the grave. And on the third day, he defeated death. But the Bible also tells us he defeated Satan. He, he won at that moment. And so, choose today. Now, here's, here's this reality that we live in, this already not yet. Jesus has already won, but it's not yet to the fullness of his, his kingdom. It's not yet to, to, the, to the place to where everything that's when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't like heaven. His, his kingdom and his reign will be complete when he returns and then we'll enter into this eternal reign. And so we sang about it in the last song that we sang, about the, the returning of, of Christ, that Christ is going to return one day. He's going to come. He's going to make all things new. So why? Why not just in his death, burial and resurrection, why not just completely get rid of Satan and annihilate Satan at that moment? Well, here's what I would tell you. One, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. God has a purpose in it. And his purpose, uh, I mean, we can always know two things to be true about God's purposes. God's purpose, it is for his glory. That there is a way in which that God it, it will be brought glory out of it, but it is also for our good. It's also for our good. And I want you to understand something. Uh, it, it's our good. It's God's mercy that he tarries. It's God allowing his people to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth that more people may come to know him. It's God's mercy that isn't returned in, in judgment right now. And so, it's for God's glory, but it is most certainly also for our good. One pastor I read this week kind of used this analogy as explaining why God didn't just immediately... Uh, annihilate Satan and while there's still Satan and demons. He said, imagine this. Imagine there's a really, really rich father, and the father just has tons and tons of money. And when his son uh, turns 15 years old, he just gives the son the full inheritance at 15 and says, there's your inheritance, now go and be wise. 
Now, what's going to happen to that money? What's that 15-year-old boy going to do? He's going to blow it, right? What, what age will that boy run out of money? 16, 15, 16. Man, y'all have like, I was going to say 21, but uh, man, we, we got, like, yeah, you get, they get my point. These are all men who are saying that, by the way. These are grown men. It wasn't the women saying it. It was the men going like, yeah, we're going to blow it, right? We're going to blow it. Rather, what would be the more loving thing for the rich father to do but to set up the trust for him, to set up to teach him how to use the money, to inherit, to teach him to use his inheritance, to steward it, that over time when the, the man has reached maturity and the father dies, that then he would be left well off. It's, it's, it's this growing process. Should the boy ever have to work? His father's he's loaded. He's going to inherit it's millions and millions of dollars. Should the boy ever have to work? Well, yes, because it's what's good for him. And so here, here's, the, here's the analogy. It's that when God teaches his children to discern good from evil, to live for good, to deny evil, to fight against evil, he is making his children more like him. It's part of our sanctification. I want you to understand something. Our growth, our um, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Yet, yes, there is evil in the world, but God has put his children in the world to fight against evil. And it is for his glory, but it is also for our good. But you say, but Pastor Zach, I look around. I look around the world. And it seems like we're losing. It's a spiritual battle that we're fighting. It seems like we're losing it. That darkness is winning. That darkness is overcoming light. That, that Satan and his demons are winning. And there's no really push forward in battle. It feels like as Christians we're in retreat. I want you to imagine this. And this will take some imagination. Let's imagine the, the Broncos are good at football. Alright. Um, hey, it's coming. It's coming. I believe it. We're on the return. And, and let's, let's say... You know, we got to go back quite a few years. Um, some of y'all couldn't drive yet. And uh, anyway, and, and the Broncos are good at football. It's a Sunday. They're playing on the East Coast. It's a noon game, so that means it's a 10 o'clock game here. And let's just, let's just say, because we really love the Lord and really want to serve Jesus, that we came to church anyway, right? Amen. Praise God. Let it be so. And uh, we, we come to church, and we've determined, because we're huge Bronco fans, that listen, after church, I've got this other thing, but I'm going to go home this afternoon. I'm going to kick back, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to do total media blackout. And I'm going to watch that game on DVR from the beginning, and I want to feel it just like I normally feel it. But then, you're leaving church, and somebody happens to mention, hey, we're down 21 nothing. We're losing. And you go, oh. It's our playoff thing, man. This is important. And then you get home, and your wife, your wife comes in from church because you drove separate because you're going to be late, and your wife likes to get on church on time. You drove separate. Your wife comes in and goes, hey, did you hear the Broncos won? You're like, whoa, totally different emotion. The Broncos won, right? And so you sit down to watch the game, and guess what? You know they were down 21 nothing, but you also know they won 28-21. So how do you watch that game? Is there any anxiety? Is there any worry? Is there any like, oh no, we're going to lose. Let me bite my fingernail. You're like, ha ha, I can't wait to see how we come back and win. 
I can't, I can't wait to see, like, what, you know, like, you're watching, waiting on what happens. Like, this is our spiritual life. Like, we, we can look around and go, it feels like we're down 21 nothing. We can see, we can see how it started off good, but this thing's gone bad, but this is what you can know. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can read ahead in the book, right? You can read ahead. You can get to the end. God wins in the end. Jesus has, has won. We, he is going to triumph in, in finality over Satan and his demons. And so, listen, this is not just a physical battle that we live in. It is a spiritual one. Jesus is going to win it. Uh, those who are not for him or against him, and who does not gather with him, they will be scattered. And so take that as your warning. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places Seeking rest. Now, I think what that means is it goes through the desert. Dry desert. It's a, I think it's a spiritual analogy to go, okay, it needs people to thrive and live. And so, finding none, it says, I'll return to my house. The, the person who had the demon cast from it. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. So it comes back to the person who had it cast out, and it, goes, it comes back, and this person has changed. This person who this demon possessed, it's, they're no longer in disarray, but they have put their life in some sort of order. And so they, they, they come back to it, and it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. And so here's the next big idea. The only solution to evil is Jesus. Here's what he's telling us. Here's what he's telling us in this story. It's like you have a person, and let's just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use an analogy that we, we can kind of really relate to. Let's say there's someone who, who, because of whatever issues in life, is addicted to methamphetamines, fentanyl, and whatever else they can get their hands on. And their life is in great disarray. Their, they, their, their life has been destroyed because of these drugs. And let's say, um, by some circumstance, they become clean. That they, they, they uh, maybe through rehab, whatever it looks like, but they are no longer uh, doing fentanyl, uh, doing methamphetamines. They have cleaned their life up. Matter of fact, let's say they've actually like uh, got a job and they've, they're, they're working, and they own a car, and they're like making all these, this good progress. And it looks like their house, is, they, they, their house was in disorder when they were in addiction, and now they're, they're in recovery, and it looks like their house is put in order. It looks like it's clean, like this person's on the right track. Jesus is saying this person still has now all these other temptations that are going to come in that can tear their lives apart. You see, if Jesus wasn't the solution, if Jesus isn't the thing that's saving, if Jesus isn't the thing that's causing change, it's a false order. It's not a real order, and something else is just going to sweep in. Some other false god, some other thing is just going to, to sweep in and tear down the person. The only way for your house to really be swept and kept and to put into order is to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus. The only solution to evil is Jesus. And so here becomes the issue. 
For the demon-possessed person, if they're demon-possessed and he casts a demon out from them, and they at that moment don't believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, it's as if they're welcoming in seven more demons again. This is, this is what this is saying is morality, orderliness, isn't what saves. It is Jesus that saves. We, we can so deceive ourselves by cleaning ourselves up, by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps to think that we have saved ourselves when in fact the only thing that can save us from our sin is Jesus Christ, Him crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. There's light and there's darkness. You're, you're either part of team darkness or you're part of the light. So verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and breast at which you nurse. Blessed is Mary. Thanks, Jesus says. But, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Here's my last big idea, and it's simple. Repent of your sins and make Jesus Lord of your life. He, he says to her, as she hears him, she sees him teaching, she sees him cast out the demon. And, he, and she said, blessed is your mom. You're an amazing man. She must have been an incredibly special woman. And he just gives her right back and says, no, let me tell you who's blessed. Let me tell you who's blessed. The person who hears these words and keeps it. Repent of your sins and make Jesus Lord of your life. When you make Jesus Lord, what you are saying is, I'm no longer ruler of my life. I'm no longer the boss of my life. I, I'm, I'm no longer trying to be in control of my life. But rather, I'm saying, Jesus, I'm giving you, my con I'm giving you control. You control me. What your word says... What your word teaches, this is how I, I, I want to live my life. The things that I want for my life, they change. I want, God, what you want for my life. Lord, I want your kingdom to come and your will be done starting right here. That's, that's what I want. So blessed are those who make Jesus Lord. Now, notice what else he says. Who hear the word of God and keep it. It is not just hearing but doing. It is not just hearing it. It is acting on it. And that means that you live it out. That you, adhere, you, you uh, obey the scriptures. You adhere to the scriptures teaching. That you live it. That you don't live as the world lives. That you don't live as Satan and the demons would want you to live. But you live for God. You live for Jesus. So today, if you are in the room and you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, today I would encourage you, cry out to God and say, God, save me. Cry out and say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to make you ruler of my life. One of the first things that he tells you when, when you make Jesus Lord is that you need to be baptized by immersion in, in, in water. To paint, paint to the world a picture, to proclaim to the picture, I, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. I've died to myself. The old man has died. The new man has come. And if you're in the church today and you've been a believer, this is what I would tell you. 
When Jesus is Lord of your life, you no longer walk in darkness, but you walk in the light. Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 5, verse 8, says, You were once children of darkness, but now you're children of light. Walk as children of light. Make Jesus Lord and live for him. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. May we believe it. May we heed it. And may we live it out. Lord, I pray that as a group of people that you would help us to distinguish between good and evil. That we would not fall to Satan and his schemes, but rather that we would live for you. That we would walk as light. Walk as children as light as you are in the light. So, Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, move and work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.